an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the ID10T Podcast number 1031. Come on out to Irvine, the Irvine Improv. I'm doing stand-up November 15 and 16, that's a Friday and Saturday, and then uh, December 12, 13, 14 in Tacoma, Washington at the Tacoma Comedy Club, and um, I have a tour next year, a bunch of dates, so I'll uh, be announcing that very soon. If you go to id10t.com slash tour, that will give you those dates, or you can just Google those respective clubs if you feel like it. Come on, it'd be nice to see you. Come on out. Um, let's talk about what you're doing, though. In the ID10T community, uh, events at ID10T.com, like Ken, who writes, I created a stained glass artwork for you, uh, Chris, that I sent a while back. The Enjoy Your Burrito piece with you and Reggie Watts. Oh, yes, thank you, Ken. Uh, he goes on to say, my father-in-law and mentor taught me how to do it and supplied the material and shipping. He is far more talented than I, and I'd like to plug some of his current work. Scott Outerkirk is celebrated, a celebrated stained glass artist who is doing a lot of really creative and diverse stuff. Your listeners should check out his YouTube series about building and restoring old wooden boats on the St. Lawrence River called The Wooden Boat Experience. That sounds awesome. He also created various handcrafted goods. He sells through his uh, shop Glass Goat on Etsy. His daughter also makes and sells awesome soy candles through Glass Goat Soy Candles on Etsy as well. I recommend every check out Scott. everyone check out Scott Outerkirk's beautiful stained glass works like The Queen and consider supporting his other work if it strikes their fancy. Ken, thank you so much for the piece uh, that you made for me. And I will definitely check out Scott's work, especially the boat stuff. That sounds, oh my God, restoring a, an old wooden boat. Oh God, I love it. I'm, a, I'm I, I can almost, I'm just going to, I'm going to finish recording this. I'm going to jump right onto that. And then I'm going to get obsessed with restor- restoring wooden boats, I'm sure, which is something I never knew I wanted until I just read that sentence. This episode is David Boreanaz, who is promoting not only season three of SEAL Team, Wednesday nights at nine on CBS, but also the 20th anniversary of Angel, which is a show that if you listen to this podcast, you are probably somewhat familiar with. All available uh, episodes are on Hulu. And, uh, oh, he was great. I knew it. I knew he was going to be a nice dude because he has worked so much in the last 22, three years. And uh, as I say in the podcast, it's not an accident. Usually when someone works job after job, a hit show after hit show, there's an element of uh, they're probably a nice dude. And uh, he was. So this is a very, very, very fun episode. And uh, I hope you enjoy the ID10T podcast number 1031 with Mr. David Boreanaz. And let us begin the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol.
old-timey microphones. Check. I hope it's not embarrassing that I'm wearing a Sunnydale shirt. I thought with the anniversary <laughs> yeah. uh, coming up that it made... It's already had it. It yeah. did have it. We happened. It, yeah, the anniversary went down and happened, and it was a... It's always a experience that's for sure i didn't get a chance to uh i'm lost in your wallpaper <laughs> as i kind of sit here and talk about the angel's 20th anniversary my wife's my wife's right. the wallpaper maven Good choice. Like she's the one stuff that puts everything up ready she's to go. the one that finds all the wallpapers yeah and so i i tend to like she's good with furniture but furniture is really my yeah. specialty mm-hmm. and her specialty is uh, colors, wallpaper, drapery, fabric. Mm. Like, she just finds all these yeah. extinct, seemingly extinct fabrics and wallpapers. It looks cool. I like it. What style is your house? Well, we don't. We're just, we're actually redoing our home right now. So we're completely doing a major teardown. The whole property is going to be leveled. Are you, li- oh, you're so, okay, so you're so not living in there. No, we're not living in there. I wanted to, I wanted to live in, a, you know, an airstream down at the bottom, but my wife's like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that would not happen. Sean I would style. easily could have done it. You know, it's easy for, for men to be like, yeah, I'll live in an Airstream or wherever. And then the wife is usually like, no, I need a closet. And I need, like, you know, a facility that's a bathroom <laughs> with at least, you know, running water that doesn't stop. And it hot sounds showered. more charming it, to, it really do, to do the Airstream than it actually is. I think day to day. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I go to a hotel. Let's just go that's to a hotel. true, man. Yeah. So we're uh, in the midst of doing that. So we rented a, a, a place, which is cool because it's, it's like this – Circa 1987 place that oh, we rented nice. in, so it's all like it's intact. So you kind of feel like you're going back to just back into the 87 era with like an old movie or something. It's it's just has that whole kind of vibe going on. So. There's probably 1987 Los Angeles. Are probably just like bricks of cocaine in the walls. Said it was completely <laughs> b- bananas. There are a lot. There is a brick. <laughs> piece that's in the bathroom that makes me wonder <laughs> should, should we like knock some of it down yeah, something I built in 87 there, someone was trying to hide something in it's the, got in like the old wood banisters it's got the old Thermador ovens oh and nice like, you know like the, the older ones when it first came out and the, the refrigerator is still kicking and it's great because it just makes things really cold so I nice. like cold cold milk and Things that are cold, cold beer. It can't be like cold. It's going to be cold, cold. On the verge of like that frost. Mm-hmm. So it just has a little bit of kind of tip of a slush on the top. Almost a solid. Yes. But not quite crisp. <laughs> Very crisp. So we're, so we're like kind of like living this uh, – we're in the midst of moving right now. And that's always difficult when you're moving from one point to the other. And you, you, you get rid of stuff and you purge and you give things away and – then you also see boxes that you haven't opened up and pictures always get you. So you always go back in time. I've just gone through so many different pictures of my past. It's it's like, it's crazy. Emotional, hilarious, you know, funny. And you're like, people you haven't seen in a long time. And it's, I, I ran across this one box and it was like 19 Polaroids or 20 of them of me and Glenn Quinn just like buy a pint, just drinking Guinness and hanging out and for those who don't know Glenn Quinn, he played Doyle on Angel, who was a really dear friend of mine and ended up, you know, dying and uh, of a bad heroin overdose. But great friend of mine still, you know, he's uh, someone I can't really kind of let go in my life. Sure. Interesting. So, but I saw that and you know, like, when you're moving, you see these pictures and these things and you're kind of like, wow, this, it just kind of hits you, you know, you kind of. You, you remember all those times that you had, and when you're when you're there, you don't think about how time goes by so fast. No, it, no, especially it when you're flies. young. Yeah, 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 especially when you're young. Because you just fun. feel like, oh, this is 
hey, yeah, <laughs> forever. But having a physical, there really is something having a tactile yeah. experience rather than. I mean, I you know my my iCloud photo thing has literally seventy five thousand pictures in it. Whoa, and they just go back <laughs> like from the first iteration of the iPhone, and it's very rare. Very rare do I go back and but. To, when you go through a box and you find an old picture, it was like a a, a milestone of that time yeah. period. There's just something. It just it just maybe it's just an old thing, old person thing to say, but it just feels like it means more and has more value when you can hold it. Of course, and when you, when you're looking at pictures of people that are no longer in your life or pictures that, have, that you'll never see again, and you just kind of relive that experience. Sure, and that moment is. It's just overwhelming sometimes. And on top of the moving, it's, you know, when you move, it's <laughs> how many fights do you get into when you move with your better half? Don't keep this. Keep oh, this. Don't this keep a- that. You're annoying me. Get away. Get out. I, what, where are we going with this This box? is my pile. Just Don't get touch rid my of pile. It. Don't touch my pile. Okay, you go over there. I'll go over here. You've annoyed me 90 <laughs> times. I literally just went through this. You seriously are like, okay, you've been divorced. You're back together again. You're divorced. You're back together again. Okay, we're fine. Now we're on a honeymoon. It's like you experience all, all everything. Death, divorce—it is. It's all up a there. Mo- Moving move is the entire relationship—it's everything, <laughs> all in one. Well, my my office was stacked full of stuff that I was gonna move, and it just ended up. My office at home just ended up looking like a, like a hoarder's closet. Yeah, and so my wife kept going. You know, I could just go in there and go, and I'm like, no, 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 don't touch my stuff. And she was like, no, but you really need me to help you. And I go, no, I don't. And then in the end, of course, I did need her to help me. Yep. But it, you really do need someone to help you make some of those harder decisions because obviously, you know, you want to keep Polaroids of a friend yeah, that or- you've lost. But like, oh, this coaster came from this really no, special. No, but it has meaning because there's stuff written on the coaster. And I have like cocktail napkins and bar napkins <laughs> of my friends and I are writing scripts and movie lines. And like, I have a box and I'm like, I'm not, it's not going anywhere. It's just like, it didn't really make much sense. But at the time it was great. So, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Ashtrays and like, I, I collect old ashtrays from hotels around the world. I have so many really cool ones and. You know, things like that and, uh, you know, mugs and pine glasses and, you know, I think we have a similar love for antiques looking around this place. It's pretty cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What what was the hardest thing you actually got rid of? Oh, my God. That's tough. It's still happening. You know, <laughs> I have shoes. I have a lot of shoes but they're and suits, like older suits that I want to pass on to my son and let him have. Because I remember when I was growing up, I was like... My grandfather, who I stayed a lot, spent a lot of time with in Buffalo, New York, you know, lived in, that was where my dad grew up. It was an older house. And I'd go up in the attic and look at all my grandfather's suits and be like, this is great, you know? So maybe that kind of leaked into me. And so I like suits and older shoes. And I still hold on to like the, the, the these great double breasted suits from, you know, the, the late 80s. And I'm like, well, I really want to hold on to these because they're just time. I've worn them and I want my son to kind of look at them because I don't want to just throw them away. So. I'm, I'm still holding on to them. They don't fit me, but <laughs> yeah. shoes, suits, ties, old like ties, yep. uh, you know, all old vintage clothing, leather jackets. Jeez, forget it. I have. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, <laughs> me, I have tons of leather jackets. I was, I was going through uh, the closet today. I think I have Angel's original leather coat. And I was like, and I had two of them that. in my hand. I got to keep that, right? I was like, well, which one is it? Is it the, this one or that one? And I think it was a Hugo Boss that wasn't that was the make who made it. But uh, yeah, that was the original one. I'm like, we can't get rid of that. That's like, there's like fake blood stains on oh the my inside God, collar. That, that's, that's, a, that's a diary of that period of time. That's oh. a, I mean, someday, you know, a hundred years from now, that you like you could 
that could be in an that would go for like never know yeah you never know that could go or for could, like 20 grand or you could just kind of donate it right to a museum to not even to a museum it's like, like let it go yeah so then somebody would pick it up and not even know that they're wearing that coat oh they should know though cool. because they'll be like oh there's like blood on here I gotta scrape no, this off yeah right or you yeah. put like a little note on the inside and then you donate it and whoever yeah. buys it reads this note I'm like whoa that's kind of that's an authentic piece I just found well I think you know I, I think with old Perhaps like a, a fun thing to do at some point if 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 someone could you know part with something maybe there's something to part with is just like you know have an auction for charity because yeah. then you raise a bunch of money right. and then someone that really wants it yeah. gets it yeah. and then so and then it and then you don't have to ha- deal with it anymore and you and then everyone kind of wins that to me it's is true. a way where but when you have your ki- when you have kids though you want to pass it on to them so then if they're blessed to have children then you know it's kind of stays within the family yeah it's my dad's vampire jacket but i had yeah don't give that up <laughs> but i got a pinball machine that i it was james garner's oh. pinball machine and it was made for him from the movie Maverick and I know his his daughter very well and she's like oh I got a bunch of stuff and I said well I'll I'll take the pinball machine so I purchased that from her and that is just a hard thing to move around it's not easy you can't just like move a pinball machine around that thing takes at least six people to navigate that thing but um, that's a cool piece that I have. That's um, that's really cool. Yeah, and it's, it was never used, so it was made in his honor for the movie for Maverick, and it's just kind of you know. Yeah, basically, we just turn into Steve Martin at the end of the jerk. Like, right, I don't man. need one of. I need this. I just want that. I just, <laughs> that's all I want. All I need is the the vampire jacket and the pinball machine. <laughs> and I, good luck trying to drag the pinball machine. I think the jacket would be fine, but it would take a lot of people to move that thing. We do. We have pinball machines too, and and they're fun, but uh, but I find. That you play them a lot for like the first couple weeks. It's like bowling. Yes. You get bored after the sixth frame. <laughs> yeah. Or like having a pool table. Oh, it'd be so fun to have a pool table. No. Then you play for like a month and then it just collects dust. Bumper pool's cool. Remember bumper, bumper pool? Of course that I remember bumper pool. One. That was actually kind of a cooler You got to get in thing. that little tiny hole you at all the end. At the th- right, same time, bam, you'd hit it off yes. the corner and see who got it in close. And then you could just hit. If you were on a roll, you would just hit all the balls in. That bumper was pool's cool. A, that was a good... That's a lot better because it's smaller. It's yeah. not as big. doesn't take up as much space. Yeah. I think I'm going to get a bumper pool now. <laughs> that knowing I have this one space in the rent, I'm thinking this is a good spot for the bumper pool. Honey, I know you made me get rid of a lot of stuff, but you may, you, yeah. we now have enough room for a bumper pool. And I took the bar that I made because you got you can't leave a bar behind. No. You don't want a bar to be destroyed. Sure. And I, so that was that was huge. And they got it. I couldn't believe it. I, I asked my friend Roberto to do it. He got like six, seven guys in there like just did it. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, from the wall and they just were pushing it through like the the small little space and areas and then they got to the rental and they're going through the bushes and it's like well we're almost there and it's just <laughs> juniper flying all over the place it smells like thanksgiving it's crazy three things that i've tried to explain to millennials to know to little to no success was one was bumper pool this these are these are things that <laughs> are everyone th- things that everyone had in the 70s Bumper pool tables, yeah. pachinko machines, yes, and I try to explain organ stores. Like okay, every yeah. mall had an organ That's store. Right, they did, and all the people who worked there could play. And so you'd walk into a mall and you'd hear and then there would be like these tiered because we we went to tiers of them tiers of them because we went to the um, Maleficent premiere at the El Capitan and then they have an organ player, of course, who comes out. My wife's like, oh, that thing's crazy, Uh and I go. You know, my wife's my wife's in her thirties, and I go, oh well, 
every mall had one of these. And she's like, what? And I go, yeah, they had these organ stores. Everyone had a fucking organ yeah. with all these switches and all these crazy. And I'm like, but now that your phone can do that, it's mm-hmm. a little less exciting. And then it was in the mall. Then you went next door to Hickory Farms. And you got the, <laughs> you got the sausage well, with the orange, hot mustard. Orange Julius. Yes. And, it, and you, the carpet stores that were rolled up. And as a kid, you'd climb on them. And your mom would be like, I mean, I grew up in Buffalo, New York. So I, I saw a lot of those those stores. But yeah, the organ was huge. But for me, this, it's like, yeah. remember, it's hockey, so it's the, the sound thing. of the oh, it's it's the sound of the organ store, the smell oh, of the Hickory yes, Farms, the taste of the Orange Julius. <laughs> that to me, those are the real like those bring out the mall and experience. the T-shirt, the champion T-shirts with the decals. Oh, the vinyl, like yes. the smell of the vinyl. Of where you pick out like, oh yeah, I like hot rod cars. I'll get a shiny That's hot rod right, decal, man. and oh, then you'd see it be burned on the, and then you'd be like, this is awesome. You get it on like two days later, it's bubbling and peeling. Oh my <laughs> god, like, listen, I got a sunburn. It's peeling, like, David. I just I've, I have. Not known you very long, but I think we should pull some of our TV money and open a seventies mall. I think that would be good, man. That's a good idea. There's a lot of there's a lot of property out in Westlake that needs to be uh, used up right now. I think that'd be fun to just build a small community. I wonder. I wonder if that's going to happen oh at some God. point where people who. It's sort of like the plot of The Village, that M. Night yeah. Shyamalan movie, where they mm-hmm. moved out to be away from technology. <laughs> but rather than moving into, like, you know, pilgrim times, we move into just pick an era like the 70s, where we have some technology, yes, but, but not, not much. much of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and have enough to cook and eat and have plumbing. Sure. We have a television you can play. <laughs> you can have all those things. You know, remember Dragon Dragon's Lair, of which course. was the arcade game of everything absolutely that was i just put so many quarters in that machine yeah that and donkey kong was the yep. best i mean that well dragon's really lair i have some original yes. cells from the animation of dragon's Do you lair really? yeah it was done by a guy named don bluth and it was like an original like that's when they first started screwing around with yeah. laser technology laser okay technology. yeah yeah so you know uh my Do- friend was here last year at a hotel somewhere and they actually it was, I think it was in mexico and they had the arcade dragon's lair in the lobby oh my gosh I, I kid you not, and awesome. it was there. It's like he's like, "Is this the, the game we used to play when we were kids in Buffalo, New York, at the mall?" And like, "Yes, it's it." And there was like, you had the one, two, three, two, one. Like you had the whole technique in order to get the lair, yep. and the sword, and yep. you ride the horse. That yep, was, that was big. That was my water I, slides too were big. I remember in I remember in sixth sixth or seventh grade, we had to give a speech in class about something we were an expert at to teach mm-hmm. other kids. And Dragon's th- Lair. Yes, this should just give you an idea of how popular I was in school. <laughs> I gave my my speech was about how to beat Dragon's Lair, like cool. all the patterns, and so. Okay. There were only like three other nerds in the class. This was before the internet, and we could all pool our resources. But uh, like two or three other nerds in the class that had questions, like, "Oh, this one, the one board in the treasure room. Oh, well, that's up, down, left, right, you know." And so I would draw. <laughs> I love the, that you know the up, down. Oh yeah, yeah. Right so I would draw the diagram on the board, and uh, and needless to say, I was a, a, a terminally unpopular kid. But but that that and Space Ace were the yeah. two like uh, laser games. Did you play Dungeons and Dragons? Of course. See now that I, I I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons, but when it first came out, like the kid up the street had it, and they're like, "You got to play this game." I'm like, "What is this called? Dungeons and Dragons?" And I'm like, "Wow, this has got to be kind of like a almost like the forefront of like Atari or or Pong." It's <laughs> of the mind. Amazing. I'm like, "Where is it?" It's like here. Like where? We got to like. <laughs> It's like these <laughs> dice and paper. I'm like, this is so boring. I'm sorry. I'm not doing I'm like expecting dragons to be moving around and like They're dragons of the mind. Was did not work for me, but it that has, was very popular. It's 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 had a quite a resurgence now. It has. A yeah. lot of, a lot of people yeah. are playing it now because I think also 
as a response to how isolating just playing a video game yeah. alone can be. Mm-hmm. You get a bunch of people in a room. They have to interact with each other, use their imagination, be resourceful. So yeah. it's, it, it actually has a resurgence now. I'm sure it does, as does everything in life. <laughs> there's there's no lack of originality. Oh, there well, is, but there is a big resurgence of television shows, movies. It's what's streaming, what's not. There's a lot going on. Well, I'm sure, because I'm sure, right? especially with like, you know, I'm sure Joss always gets it up. When are you going to do a Firefly reboot? When are you going to do a, yeah, a Buffy yeah, reboot? Yeah. When are you going to do an Angel reboot? You Never. Know, like, there's always a... <laughs> <laughs> Not in this lifetime. But this is what delights I mean, and fascinates me about you. Yeah. You have been on television since 1997 without a break. Mm. And that's phenom- like that's a fucking incredible achievement. It's a lot of pain. To go from Buffy <laughs> to Angel to Bones to SEAL Team, like every season yeah. you have a hit show on, and that's that should you should get an award for that. Like that uh, doesn't okay. happen. I think the anatomy of a hit, if it, if you want to call it a hit, is just like maintaining your sensibility about the work and your your work effort is to me like the most important part of the whole journey and has been. I mean, I went to private school, high school, all boys, and it was like, me you too. know, Augustine priest, you work, you had to memorize stuff. You, growing up as a kid, my mom was like, you have to have a job to work at the farmer's market. I worked every summer. It was So I created a work ethic that I translated into my work that I do today. And that just is, for me, it's always been about work. Like I like to work. I love being around it. I love the people. I don't, I I try, I try to always necessarily just focus on that and everything else. I don't like, I don't, I'm not a big person who's into the publicity market or going to red carpets or meeting this person or that person. You know, it's, it's, it's exhausting. I tried that and it's very daunting and people don't even know really how to talk to people. It's a very odd situation, (laughs) but you know, to the, to the work, it's all about effort. I, I was listening to something today. Ivana Chubbick is like my, my my guru. I've been working with her for over 20 years, and she's my acting coach, and we work together on everything. And it's just, again, her recipe is – It's one of the questions to her was, it says, do you like working with your students? Do you like working with the stars you've made? And she's like, well, I've worked with you know students who have lived with you know eight people in a house, and it's like those people have broken house because certain people have work ethic. Cause mm-hmm. Their ethic is constantly gearing towards making ch- choices that are risky, right? Regardless if you succeed or fail, you need to always make a choice that's risky and out there and put yourself out there and – that's very scary for a lot of people. No matter what business you're in, I mean, um, well, not a surgeon. You don't want to make a risky choice when you're <laughs> open heart or something. Uh, like that. Cut but that one. That, ah, no, shit. no. Let's uh, let's just try it. Fuck. No, no, it ain't oh, gonna work fuck. real well. So, uh, I mean, that's I think to me overall is is really what it's about. It's about the work, and it's tough. I mean, it, television is a is a grueling pace. I mean, I work on SEAL Team now, and it's still 22 episodes. That's like a lot. Why are we still doing that formula? I mean, I look at people who are like, hey, I'm doing 13 episodes or eight here. I'm on Netflix and I'm like wow you can fucking swear <laughs> you have a fucking life you can read a book I'm still like 22 episodes we're shooting it in 8 days we'll shoot it in 7 days because we're so fast and meanwhile the crew's dying and everyone around us is like this, we can't wait to get the Thanksgiving break right 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 just to get 3 days off absolutely it's like, it's like whoa so it's a, it's been a journey and a, a blessing for one and I don't continue I just want to continue that and I don't plan on stopping anytime soon yeah but all the but it's but you look at it and everything you've done i mean obviously angel came out of buffy but bones was different than than angel and then seal team is different than bones and so you 
you've really done a good job because it would have been really easy, I imagine, to take another job that was like, oh, I should probably do some kind of fantasy yeah. or sci-fi thing because right. that, and you, you know, you jumped and did a network mm-hmm. procedural, yeah, and it worked really well, yeah. you know. So it at the time were you faced with some of those choices did you have a lot of options and you said oh this one really makes sense to me or how did that i didn't really necessarily think that would be the 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 cure i was like oh i gotta make a choice that is necessarily different from what i'm doing i necessarily was just i live my life i wake up and wherever my environment is kind of is dictating the character choices in my life since i play pretty much all the characters that's infused what's going on in my life Mm -hmm. my relationships or whatever so when Bones came along, it was it was kind of like a free kind of. I always think it was like when you end a job, it's or a long running series or carries like you know what it gives your sense of sense of freedom because you're you're very vulnerable and you're open to a lot of things and you see things a lot better and things just kind of fall into your lap and of course you sit there and you say well I I remember people saying well you should go for this role here and this this is a really cool role and. It's got a great cast. And I said, well, I like this other role that's kind of interesting called Bones. And, you know, we were the last pilot picked up when we shot it. And, you know, and they're like, well, this show is not going to go. It's silly. It's named Bones. I'm like, well, I kind of like the relationship and like the way the characters are talking to each other. It was very like romancing the stone. Yes. Genre to me. And a lot of people didn't see that. And I did. And I before I just kind of went into that arena. So for me, it's like, it's not a conscious choice. I think sure. it's just something that happens. Sure. And I I don't want to be too, like, ethereal about it, but that's the way I, I am. You know, it just kind of happens. Not, uh, well, you oh, have I'm going to gonna also- go for this, right? right. And, uh, um, you know, it worked out. I'm glad it did. And, um, you know, we were very successful in that show and creating characters that worked opposite of the procedural i mean when we started that show emily and i worked with ivana for eight or nine episodes every weekend rewriting stuff and bringing it to the producers and changing things and and instituting things and at first they wanted like a drama they wanted like an x-files they want this mysterious thing i'm like it's not that it's not funny it's not you know quirky and it was great to see after we had successfully broken those barriers four or five seasons later, other procedurals were doing the same things and they wanted to like have conversations over bodies about like, you know, what did you eat last night and why am I feeling sick? And like (laughs) these things are all character related and, but it made sense. So we were proud that we were able to do that and see that. And, uh, you know, working with Emily was, uh, was a joy and just a great experience. She's just, she's phenomenal, and also uh, somebody who was uh, the two of us were able to really work with each other in the work environment and understand each other's moods. Like it's it was a long marriage, and you know what? I'm not having such a great day today. I'm telling you that right now up front. Right. Oh sure, Emily goes. Yeah, I understand. I respect that. I love you, man. But you know what? We'd still have that banter, and we'd still respect each other. We would never. We'd always be open with each other. Would never um, hide things from each other. We're very. It, it just became a, a great match, and we, I was very fortunate to have that. So, um, but Bones was it was a great run, and um, regardless if it was a an unconscious decision, I think it was smart for for me at the time because you you do a show like Buffy, and it's very cold oriented, and then you take the character and it gets spin off to its own series for five seasons, and I think Angel was a show that could have gone on a lot longer. I think that it ended a lot quicker. I think it was a different type of show. It was darker, obviously, more yeah. adult-oriented themes. I mean, 
guy, a vampire living in Los Angeles, saving souls. It's so like hilarious. <laughs> as soon as you think about it, I mean, it was crazy. The people that we had on it, the characters are so great. The puppet episode, puppet was everyone loves the puppet. Well, of course, it's puppets it's, the best. It's 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 a triumph. It's a television <laughs> triumph. Like. To, and that's that was the fun thing about both of those shows is that it was always looking for ways to have this fun subtextual conversation mm-hmm. with the audience of like we know what you're used to seeing and we want to play with that yeah and have fun we want to have fun with you the audience and show that right. we are willing to break the mold sometimes step out of it mm-hmm. and that and I think that was what you know Buffy really kind of started this 1996 97 mm-hmm. started this era of. Um, respecting that type of a cult audience you know and saying like hey if you were if you were to make a show this is the type of show you would want to make yes and that's what it felt like it was very much when we went to comic-con i think it was early on at 96 97 and it was just boxes of comics on the floor there was no huge marquee advertisements for movies it wasn't it was a pure comic book convention yeah, for right yeah. the people selling like real superman are you know com everything it was just authentic and then now it's just kind of gravitated and it's you go there and everything's promoted sure like, it's it's crazy everything's like a big movie or a big production and there's lights and dance it's like what happened here well they like follow the wizard the money. of oz just blew up man i know but the entertainment industry followed the money because you know this sort of this sort of trend in nerd culture that mm-hmm. you know that Buffy was definitely one of the yeah. for, for the contemporary yeah. nerd movement planted a flag in the soil and said this is a real audience and it's mm-hmm. not just niche and it's not just a bunch of that stereotypical they live in their mom's basement you know <laughs> playing D and D hey maybe maybe I live in the basement of my house and I let my mom live upstairs okay. you ever think of that all right <laughs> so uh, but in any case it. When they started realizing, like, there's a real audience here, then all the entertainment companies... Of course. You know, because then around 2000, 2001, you have Spider-Man, X-Men, mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Yeah, it's great. And so, know. yeah, so it all blew up. But Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only fourteen ninety-five at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. It does go back to what you were talking about before, about that PR dance, Yep, which... You're right, and I think I've always – I was saying that to my wife this morning that I've, I've always respected that it seems like you chose to not be a part of that because mm-hmm. that also – you get attention based on how, you know, how much they perceive you as being yeah. – it's like – and that's very fluid. You have no control over that, and no. it, then you're just a commodity, and that yeah. feels – that could really fuck with your head. Yeah, because you're trying to control it. Absolutely. And then when you try to control it, then it just 
it it goes crazy. It's messy. Yeah, you're walking with your shoes on backwards. Right, you think you're you're you just create this own world inside your head. That's like this fantasy world, and it's not real. Right, it just becomes your own <laughs> dragon's lair. So to speak, <laughs> Nicely done. It really does. Well, well played. You know, when Buffy started out, and we were fortunate to get, I got on that show. I was like, I was a reoccurring character the first thirteen episodes, and then I. It just worked. the The character of Angel and Buffy, and it was a love story, and it took off. It was a very big, impactful moment for that show, and it just catapulted that love story even further up. And then yep. I'm like, "Hey, they want some more episodes." I'm like, "Sure." I'm like, "I ain't doing anything." So, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I was living in Los Feliz uh, with like four of my best friends that we rented this house. It was like the first original house in Los Feliz, and it was like the Sunset Boulevard. It was a plastic surgeon uh, made this house for uh, Charlotte Dupree, who was a silent film star. Oh, wow. It was in honor of his love for her. So. We rented it out with all the original furniture, and it was like crazy, you know. And I was like, "Hey, I'm just staying here. I might as well do six more episodes of of a vampire with a soul." I didn't care. Yeah. But the breakdown came out, and it was like he's like a Joe Lewis prize fighter who can take a shot, can always get back up. Like that resonated more with me than anything else. When they said this is the character breakdown, I remember getting the role, and we had this big party in Los Feliz, and my buddies are like, "Dude, you're playing this vampire man," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's this based on this Joe Lewis character who can't that comes back and like doesn't take a punch," and it was just like this, all these like interesting metaphors going on in my head at yeah. the time, and. Uh, I was just excited to be working too, and and then I'd show up, and at first it was not really a lot of stuff. It was just me brooding in corners and kind of looking at her and telling her I loved her, and we created this like thing, and it blew up, and then there I am eight episodes later, and then it turns into a series regular. I'm like, wow, this is taking off. It's crazy, and you could f- feel the momentum of it in a way that was like, where are we going with this? Like. When it comes out, it's popular. Six episodes in, it gets more popular. And then it's this cult thing. And next thing you're doing, you're doing a cover shoot with Rolling Stone magazine with Sarah Michelle Geller, And there's big E fans in Griffith Park. And there's nine photographers around. Everyone's drinking beers. And it's like, it's like what's going on here, man? <laughs> the coat's flying. You know, I, you know, I did a photo shoot with Annie Leibovitz, a milk campaign. I'm like, when, I, when Angel got to be get his own show and i'm on harnesses and they're, they're like i'm drinking milk it's like this is a badass job man <laughs> this really is far from the joe lewis guy that i didn't really imagine so it was pretty intense and uh you know you found yourself getting more and more into the uh trying to control that aspect going to places getting into places and it's a, it can become a wrecking ball for for with all for your soul yes because it uh it's so self-identifying here i am playing a character has to save souls and harry airs your own soul is like going down these paths are like what's going on here right now and it's fascinating um and when uh the transition happened into my own show i was just i was so like joss is like hey you're gonna get the show we'll spin it off david greenwall and i'm like I was working on this Irish accent that was horrible, and I was like in character. I had long hair, and I was playing Liam, and it was like I was more focused on that. He told me, and I was like, okay, great. I got to go do the scene now. Mm-hmm. Like my phase, my my thing is, it's always moment to moment, never what's behind you, always the next step. Mm-hmm. And 
it's the way I live my life, you know, and um, to a fault sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, that show went on to greater success because of the success that came from from Buffy. You know, the character created itself and it just kept going and going. And uh, the people I met, the showrunners that are now showrunners or the writers that became showrunners, um, you know, David Fury, Marty Noxon, I can name tons of them that have gone on are now successful runners of their own shows and created some great stuff is – it, that's that's the best part is really working with these writers and, and the people they've created such remarkable material and uh, and the and the relationships you've garnished with other cast members and guest stars that have come on they have fantastic careers and it's always for me it's like when Bones it was such a long running show and the guest stars that come on you'd see their careers take off and that was always exciting to see that you yeah know, it was fun well and I think there's also a testament to you know this business will put up with a lot. Yeah. But I think in order to maintain a career, I've always just assumed like, oh, David's probably a super nice guy because someone wouldn't get show after show after show after show if they weren't fun and easy to work with. Yeah. Because it at a certain point, the business is just like, ah, that guy's kind of a pain in the ass, yeah. you know? And so it – but hearing about how you just make it about the work, but then also mm-hmm. hearing that you went through a period – where you had to learn about how insatiable the ego can be. Yeah. Because there's never – there's it's an unfillable hole. Of course. And some people it just fully consumes and then some mm-hmm. people can go, oh, wait a minute. Let me take a step back take and a step see back. what time – because it's really affecting your life or it's affecting how you feel about certain things and – yeah, of course, you go through those moments. I think to to this day, you always do it. For me to be blind and, uh, and not say that that would be stupid, I'd be lying to myself. You always are going through challenges, regardless of what that is and where you are. Um, you know, simplicity is always the, the most important thing to me, and laughter is the most important thing mm-hmm. to me. And that gets me through a lot. And it's, you know, you work with these SEALs and, um, you know, these guys that these real tier one operators that work these major missions. And, and you know, some of them don't get make it out, and some of them do, or have their arms blown off, or they lose their legs. Um, and I was like, well, how did you get through that moment? It's like, well, you know, just half my arm was blown off and I'm, you know, kind of telling jokes about movie lines and getting through with laughter through pain. It's like, whoa, it's intense. Like, it's hard to comprehend it, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think laughter is the biggest cure for everything mm-hmm. in, in life. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that you you need a lot of that. And, then my, and, and of course, my dad and my mom and my family's very tight with me, so... They've always helped me guide that, especially my father. He's like huge, huge – he represents everything to me. You know, my dad's everything and uh, um, always there, always with with no judgment, um, but there to, you know, strengthen the laugh gene. (laughs) Well, that's good and and it also makes a lot of sense too. And I'm fortunate too. I mean, look, there's – you know, you – I think you are a product of your environment. I, I, I represent like that for which is like a, a kid who is um, trying to make it in the sports team out east. And he was brought out somewhere living and didn't have the facilities of the type of training. And then you go to the east coast and you're competitive and you're not as competitive because these kids are – leagues ahead of you because of their environment mm-hmm. you know the you know when you uh you play a sport out here and it's like let's say hockey it's not as 
you know, you can't just go outside and skate in the frozen pond <laughs> as you can in like the East Coast. It's like the kids are all doing it, and they're out here, you're just like you got sun and you don't do much. You yeah, know? It's, so it's different. I mean, I think environment plays a big part of it. Sure, I really do. But I hearing you talk about you know working with seals and because yeah. this is the first job. It's not like you could talk to a vampire or yeah. you know. I mean, it. To- Who says you can't talk to a vampire? <laughs> Everyone's fascinated with it. So <laughs> we talked to a lot of vampires when preparing for this role. Uh, we had to paint the windows black. You know, we asked you had to kind of get into it. Yeah, and you know, it's a whole thing. Well, you know, sometimes you bite the person on the neck, and yeah, we it's never like did a, that. No. But <laughs> <laughs> never got into the, 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 the dialect. But yeah. but but what I yeah. but, but what's so interesting is that this is the this is a show where you're actually playing you're representing a real group yeah and so was there uh, anxiety on your part of like well i want to make sure i'm as respectful because you you're talking to these guys and you see yeah. like they have you know and then you look at you know we look at performers who are like oh i guess my job's really not that you know what these people <laughs> do to put themselves in harm's way day in day out sacrificing like you said life and limb and and uh and they you know and and they can do it with such They're a different breed. Yeah, exactly. They are a different breed. So was any of that um, – did that affect you when you first took on the role? Like, oh, I really need to make sure that we do mm-hmm. this the, the right way because it represents a real group. Of course. We do it the right way and we're proud of that. You know, it's something we don't take lightly at all and it takes a little bit of time. But when we do shoot, it's, it's very effective and very fast. But Matt, uh, one of the exe- my partners on the show, executive producer with me, with me uh, as well as Chris Chulak. On a we, you know, were, he was someone who was on thirteen deployments. Captain Phillips, uh, Bin Laden, you know, those guys are they're just they're just a different breed, mm-hmm. and um, you can see it in their eyes. You can see it in the way they talk to you, um, and they're also very humbled and extremely just just really cool great guys to hang out with um great storytellers and they 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 tell you i think to a point uh what you want to hear to be honest and so you take that information and for me it was all really about the mind and how they function and how they compartmentalize things and how they deal with being away on deployment and coming home you know after a long run and you know, putting someone's head back together or making a mission complete, they're arguing about Christmas tree lights and, Mm -hmm. you know, why they have to, you know, something's not working in the kitchen and you get into an argument with your wife over the disposal the day after. It's like, whoa, that's a big flip. Right. And it's uh, playing this role going into the third season. uh, You take that that on, you know, you you tap into the mental aspect of – of what this character goes through. And uh, from the beginning of season one, it wasn't as, it's really starting to get darker and deeper now, or really get into his mind and how he kind of is hearing kind of those voices and the demons and his brothers that have passed away and how it's catching up to him. Um, and when you're on that grind, you want to be as authentic as you can. So you do talk to them, you do get the stories, you, but you also have to bring flavor to that, right? You have to, as an actor, you get to take that information. And Ivana and I work on what is underneath all that and mm-hmm. decide like how to make these specific choices that, you know, these are alpha male guys. They operate 150%. You know, their engines are always going. Um, 
They don't idle very well, but yet they're very methodical and slow when they're on the attack, and they operate as a team. So in operating as a team, if one function is off, then that's they're not going to be a team, which I love that aspect of it. So for me, it's always very sports-oriented, so I use a lot of sports metaphors. Mm-hmm. Like hockey team takes the ice. If you're not playing the right move or you're not in your position, stay in your lane, then things are going to go crazy and it's mm-hmm. not going to work, and that's how they, these guys operate. And um, when there's a clog off and the, the mission does not succeed, I think their biggest fear is failure. They don't like to fail. Like that's that's not accepted for them. That to them is like it's a big gaping wound. Mm-hmm. When you see a physical wound, that is not as effective as a a failure, mm-hmm. an emotional wound that opens up and stays with them, and it just festers. And you know they live with so much, regardless of what they're dealing with PTSD, you know TBI, whatever that is. Um, it just grows and grows and grows. So to your point, yeah, we I did talk to the, the people. I did yeah. talk to Matt. I did talk to Tyler, the guys that were Delta Force guys that are on our show. Um, I got into their heads. I, you know, they're very good friends. Uh, they're brothers. We went out drinking. You know, we I've had parties at my house with them. Um, you see how they operate. You see how proud they are. Um, you know, I it's a when you bring out a bottle of whiskey and a bunch of tier one guys, it's an interesting night. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but you learn a lot, and not to say that's like, hey, well, we just got smashed and learned. It's you know, you don't really need to, but you can effectively find uh, attitudes and how they adjust and. It's amazing to watch um, from an actor's perspective. You just take all that in, then you find yourself living it. Right. You find yourself immersed so much in the role, and you're now you're really into this role, and you're a part of it. And for me, uh, Jason Hayes has been like the most um, immersed character I think I have ever played on all of them because they all lead to one another in a way. Um, for you, when you say, oh, you take bits and pieces from certain characters that you play. I fell into this role and it made sense to me and it was called to me. I, I, I gave it up. I didn't want to do it. And then it came back to me. So it made sense to me. And mm-hmm. um, it just was kind of like, this needs to happen. And I fell into it and here I am and I'm third season. I'm like, wow, this is really amazing to be a part of. But because I feel it, you know, I can, I can do a scene. Um, if I'm doing a scene with Ray, I'm a, I'm a Bravo 2 guy and I'm going through an issue or a problem and I've done the work and I'm working my subtext. Um, it's, it's, there's a, there's something about it that again, it's the, you want to do them right, right? Right. It's the, it's the history. It's the, the history of a tier one operator of, um, playing whatever that is, veterans in the room. You have an obligation to, to them, all of them, right? To, cause you're playing this character and you don't want it to be, you want to be as authentic as you can. Right. And that becomes real and you feel it. And in these scenes and it, for me, it's, it's, it's like, it's ignition. It's, you know, the spark plug goes off. I can hit a line and I'm hitting a roll and I'm on my, my roll with it and it just becomes very vulnerable. Right. And I really enjoy that. I enjoy that feeling, that rush of intensity or that, that feeling that I'm going through because it, it's showing the character struggles. It's showing the character's victories. It's showing the character's involvement and in bringing the team together in leadership um, right. and how effective leadership can be and also the cost of leadership. And right. How it can change the dynamics of a team, and, right? And the other choices that the other Bravo members are making. So it's a fascinating world, and um, and I'm just enjoying it right now. And um, and also it's, it's under, understanding them as human beings too, yes. and not just these machines that go no, up. They're it's not. Like, no, they're, they have depth, and they have. Yeah. They they deal. 
just the compartmentalization to mm-hmm. me is so especially because we you know I feel like our, our culture right now is in a state where where you know everyone is conditioned to not ever feel an uncomfortable emotion at any given moment like oh you know we That's take <laughs> we take pills to stop that and we do yeah. this and we you know we consume to forget and we go on social media to distract mm-hmm. and we you know and so you know to see that there are still people in the world who go yes the the core of my job is living in a state of discomfort seeking that embracing it mm-hmm. fighting through it you know yeah. is is so i have so much respect for it and it's endlessly fascinating to me because it's antithetical to what i believe is happening a lot in our culture mm-hmm. now which is just a complete you know mm-hmm. i want my life to just be like a big pillow <laughs> not only that but i want my life to be like an instagram ad or an instagram right. person or whatever that that post is and you're right. you're only as valuable as your followers right um sounds crazy but it's like you know the star belly sneeches you know <laughs> it's a thorax good reference it's like come on man like what's going on you know, you got a star i don't have a star well i'll go to mcmonkey mcbean and i'll get a star and then my family gets a star and then people pulling stars off they don't have stars a star off machine it's exactly. crazy well how are you communicating like you know I, because how, uh, your, your kids must be teen how old are they 17 and Ten uh, year old. Just yeah. the weirdest time to be a young person right now, I would imagine. Because I don't of- know how they do it, man. I mean, social media, Blitzkrieg, um, the snapping. The it was hard enough to navigate just our own immediate social circles in schools, and I also went to an all boys school, man. But it, now you're yeah. in it with yeah. everyone in the yeah. fucking world. No, it's intense, and it's the, it's in your scrutinized, and you're under a microscope in so many ways, and um. You know, my family is, you know, to me very private and I keep it that way. And I don't like to kind of really divulge like what they're doing. But I will say that my son and my daughter are in very different parts of their one's 10, one's 17. One goes to school, uh, a boarding school out east. And he's feeling all that what I felt, you know, like growing up in the East Coast, the winters, how tough it is. Carrying your backpack full of books, you know, all boys school, like it's intense. It's and the grind is intense and the sports is intense. You know, it's like wow, they're really working out hard every day for whatever that is, and and not just for the physicality of it, but for the mental aspect of it to break walls and become a young man, right? And, and learn that through through the environment that you're in again. And there's my daughter who's home and she's an equestrian rider and she's on horses and she's jumping now. And at ten, I'm like, this is crazy. But she adapts to the environment because she loves horses, and she's at home jumping dogs all the time. And there's <laughs> our house is like got sticks all over the place. <laughs> so dogs are flying. It's like it's like a magical world, man. It's absolutely crazy. But it has been consumed with again the social media. Uh, they are scrutinized. They are put under a surface. So your dad does this for a living, and now you're become more than just who you are. Your right. self identity for them is. I have to break through that. I mean, me growing up, my dad was um, in television. He had a kid's show called Rocket Ship 7, and he was like, Wasn't he a weather guy, too? He was a weather guy in Philadelphia. He was a very popular guy in Philly. It was like Dave Roberts, uh, City Line. I got the whole thing, and I went to school, and I was like razzed or whatever. It's bully. Whatever that is, whatever you have to deal with as a kid, you gotta, if you're with that, uh, that, under that umbrella of whatever comes with it, you have to find ways to navigate around it. Are you being my friend because... My dad's a weather guy in Philadelphia. Right, right, right. Right? Do you want to go down to the station and meet the news guy? Well, that's like, why I wanted you on the podcast, yeah, to be right, honest. Exactly. You want to go to the Phillies guy. game because, you know, like Don Tolson, who was a sports guy at that time, you meet the fanatic, like at the Sixers court. It's like crazy, man. It's 
And, you know, but one thing my dad always saw me, was like, you, 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 he would introduce all, us all. Oh, you're Dave Roberts. Oh, yeah, this is my son, David. And my son, I'd be like, geez, really, Dad? You got to introduce me? Like, <laughs> well, you're my son. And you know, this is who they are. And you take time to talk. My dad texts everybody. Yeah. It's like a Utah goodbye. <laughs> Times five. They say goodbye, like, in the kitchen, in the hallway, out the doorway, in Bye. the driveway, on the corner of, of the story. driveway. No. It's, it's like, it's just it, like you got to leave. I got to leave in an hour. Then you better start planning that now because that's when you're going to get out. But but also that is, that's taught me the, the simple things, handshakes and uh, looking people in the eyes and um, communication with vulnerability and love and support and listening like being able to listen to somebody without all this noise you know like the social media noise and yeah like i'm uh, i'm just happy that my son can write cursive <laughs> can write a letter have you written write me you, a letter have you handwritten yes i have lately? i wrote a letter last week i my handwriting i tried to write something recently it's sad and it, i'm like this... what happened to my handwriting oh fuck you gotta practice this It'd be nice to all go to handwriting school. You got the ink and you yeah. got the pen and the quill. It's calligraphy. Amazing. Yeah. It's really uh and then I have uh, my nephew, he doesn't he doesn't write cursive. I'm like, how do you not do that? Like they just they just they're not it's not how they were trained. Well, this pen doesn't autocorrect itself. I don't know how to <laughs> Yeah, you got blue, green. Yeah, I've got the four-color pen. That's your autocorrect, right? My autocorrect is, yeah, (laughs) scraping out. I mean, I remember having to take, you know, I had to take typing in, like, seventh grade. I remember that. And we were on these non-electric, like, Mad Men era, you know, tick, 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 tick. And if you fucked up, you had to go back and put in, like, a little little white thing and And redo the letter. And so there was no no safety net. There was no room for a mistake. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was incredibly stressful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, safety nets are another – it brings up for me is, like, you know, you'd go out and audition for roles and – you have an acting teacher. It'd be like, oh, you're coaching with them to go to audition for something. He's like, yeah, well, you have to have that safety net because if you fuck up, then you have this to go to. Right. Which I kind of understand. But also, it's like, hey, maybe if you don't have a safety net, you'll fall and you'll find another place that'll be more interesting than what you just tried. You right. Know? That's a that's always by choice too. But um, there's a lot of safety nets today. Embracing it's, falling is gr- is a great thing to learn. I'm not saying I'm great at it, but it is. Because I feel like if you can embrace the fall, mm. you're relatively unstoppable in life because yep. you're constantly in a state of growth and learning yes. and like, okay, I'm yeah. not afraid. You know, I have, a, I have a friend – I had a friend in grade school who was not a particularly big guy, but he just wasn't afraid to fight because he wasn't afraid to get hit in the face. Right. And so he was actually not a big kid but considered a tough kid only because he was not afraid to get hit and he was not afraid to throw a punch. Yeah. And I was afraid of both of those things. And so it it feels like a skill set that if you could adapt that in your life, then you really could get through pretty much anything. Oh, when you look at these people, like I remember as a kid, I always wanted a skateboard. And my mom was like, you're not getting a skateboard. You're going to crack your head. <laughs> but you can go play ice hockey. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, really? Uh, or you can go uh, play football. I'm like, okay. Uh, what? What? That's all right. <laughs> What's going on? I remember playing soccer as a kid, and I picked the ball up and started running, and my dad's like, you're in the wrong spot. <laughs> I put you in football. But just move you one field you fall, over. Like, for me, you remember the East Coast and the cold and playing in the dirt. I remember playing football games, and there was no grass. It was dirt and stones, and you got your knees chopped up and your elbows cut up. But it was like you came out of like a – it's like a war. Yeah. And – like you said, you go through these falls and these 
this pain, but you get back up. Yeah. And you learn how to get back up. And that's why I'm so I'm, – I'm very happy and proud of my son to be on the East Coast, to be able to experience that – um, and getting cut up metaphorically by, um, you know, the, the East Coast mentality mm-hmm. and the weather mm-hmm. and, you know, the way they, they live out there compared to how they live on the West Coast. so different. Yeah. To, so that's a blessing for him and a blessing for my daughter to be able to get on a thousand pound animal and take off. And <laughs> she said that to me. Tell, she's like, Dad, I, I'm an athlete. I ride a thousand pound animal. I'm Seriously? like, wow. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And I not only like, does she ride that, but she tells the animal what to do. I was like, Bella, do you know first season of Angel? Uh, my character got on a horse. It was a black stallion. I have a picture of it. And I rode downtown on a street. No lie. Like full gallop with a lance in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I did that one take, and the line producer was like, get him off that fucking horse right now. I'll fucking Never kill you. Again. Never again. Because I was like, Kelly, I'm fucking going to go. And I was like, yeah. And that fucking horse was like, clunk, 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 clunk. And I was charging. The coat was flying. And I was like, remember, stop. I was like, fuck, yeah, it was awesome. And Kelly was like, get the fuck off that horse. You, If you're my fucking horse, you get injured. This show is fucking over. And I'm like, okay. There's an alternate timeline where that David didn't survive that horse. You know? I, yeah, no, that there is. There probably is but I do I, I find myself actively always being involved in the roles I mean Bones wasn't really a stunt oriented <laughs> show I was like I always said to them you're not really utilizing my capability here can you I know, just I ride a horse through this lab I can ride a horse through the lab everybody would be happy you know um, but because it was a relationship and then when I got to 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 SEAL team it was like wow you know you got to keep your body going you have to keep your mindset with your the, the workouts and uh, intensity of it you know I'm, I just turned 50 so you have to maintain your workouts and your eating habits and you're constantly grinding that out and you wake up and you're sore it's like North Dallas 40 yeah you yeah yeah up, you can't it's like what did I just get hit with yeah I mean these putting on the gear and the guns and the helmet and trucking on long nights for three days out in location in the middle of the night Going in up and down stairs and low crawls. It's like, I don't know. I couldn't, <laughs> man, I don't know how they did it, man. I don't know how those guys do it. Because they're, 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 they have an unspoken language, but they're also in, you know, what's really interesting about these guys is they blend in, you know. They all have beards. They all, like, they don't, they're not military cut guys. They kind of wear T-shirts and they're hanging out in and all of a sudden, they're like, whoa, where'd that guy come from? And right. He's like a ninja, dude. Serious fucking ninja. He's a superhero without a cape. He's not in front of a green screen. He's not wired up. And he's doing serious shit that's protecting the world, like us, the country, to be free, to wake up and make scrambled eggs and walk outside without bombs. Like, these these guys are doing that. Yeah. And again, back to your points, like, that's why you want to get it right. That's why you want to scratch those surfaces. And if if I can, with this character... Um, cast some light in these shadows of their minds where they struggle in society where they're not accepted or not understood, then I'm doing my job. Well, and it's also the ability to learn how to, like, with, you know, putting on all the gear, or these, or these, these guys that you're talking about, is just being comfortable with discomfort and pain. Yes. Like, I have such a low threshold for pain. My wife... Well, I do too. <laughs> my, my, my wife will, like, you know, like, recently... Uh, uh, 
I kind of noticed she turned her head weird. And I go, what's wrong? She goes, oh, I pinched a nerve in my neck. And I go, when did you do that? And she was like, oh, like four days ago. I go, you didn't say anything. You seemed fine. And she was like, yeah, what good would it do? And I'm like, how do you do that? You know, like <laughs> the first point that that would have happened to me, I'd been like, I'm not, I can't get out of bed. Of course. Can you bring me a thing? Of I need, can. I yeah. need anti-inflammatories. I need, you know. And so some people just have the ability to embrace the pain and mm-hmm. not, and push through anyway, and that fascinates me. I agree with you, and I think that that's one of their things is their adrenaline is so high that they can push through the pain. The pain kind of actually motivates them. I was The pilot we were shooting in, the, the Tyler Gray, was Delta Force guy, was coming off of a off a chopper ro- rope, and he was coming down, and he slipped on the take, and he was so fucking mad. I'm like, dude, why are you so mad? He wouldn't talk to me. He's like, he was so upset that he disappointed the whole routine mm-hmm. like he took it so to a degree because these guys again will not accept failure right they push through pain like you said and they're very good and they're fast too they're fucking multi-fast i mean those guys can fucking run mm-hmm. like just they just like gazelles just taken off man and some of them are just rhinos you know like aj buckley plays the you know the guy who's kind of like the grunter of the team <laughs> and he's funny he's from texas and you know, he's uh, those guys are like rhinos, man. right? They're like coming at you, and they're burling. You got to break through a yeah, wall. Yeah, you got to break through walls, and they're just they got the big guns. You know, like they're they're the knuckle draggers. They right. carry the ammo. Right. You know, I'm leading a team. I'm compartmentalizing. I'm talking to, you know, the the, the havoc base where we're at, how I'm going to do that. Then I'm talking to them and telling them what to do, and we're taking charge. So it's kind of like um. Mousetrap, the game. It's yes. It's a perfect example, Perfect. Man. It's like you don't want to get Never get mouse that fucking game to work. Never. Not one time. Every time you had it set up perfectly, if you breathe wrong, the thing would fucking fall. Yeah, yo, or, or it would start to <laughs> fall. The cage would fall, and then it yeah. would stop. You're like, why did, fuck it, why did it stop? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it was very frustrating. Those Milton Burrow games were, they were very frustrating, right? Back in your dad's day, entertainment yes. was a much different. Uh, it was a much different dynamic, but it was also like, it was like the big tracks when that thing came out. I remember wanting this thing for Christmas. It was this robot thing. It was big tracks. And you program the back of it, and it was. Just, do you remember the big tracks? Was it like a little? I can't believe you don't remember. The is it? Big was tracks. it like a little, I, I like a little, him. like a little tanky robot? Yes, it was a yeah. tank yeah, robot. Yeah, 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 and yeah, it yeah came I remember. With the, the the thing on the back that mm-hmm. would dump the apple. Yes, the yes, 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 yes. The commercial. The dad's like reading the newspaper. You can like, dump one thing yeah. at a time. Yeah, and then and it, the commercial was like the, the kids like beep 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 beep, and then this thing takes off like the pod and this and Steve Austin episode <laughs> when he was fighting the pod dude that was indestructible. <laughs> And it would go down the hallway, take a right, and the cat would look up at this thing, and they would fire at the cat. Lasers! And then it would go by the dad, and it would drop the apple to the dad, and we would turn home. Yes. I was like, what the fuck is that toy? I was like, I want that. And my dad's like, it's, we can't afford it. I'm like, Dad, Mom, it's all I wanted, man. It was big tracks. And I remember getting it, and all I did was go up and down the hallway, because we didn't have this cool house to do yeah. anything. Yeah. Wouldn't go downstairs. Nope. And eventually, I programmed it to go down the stairs, and it broke, and it flipped. And <laughs> well, I, I follow the, I follow an Instagram account. I want to make sure and I reference it correctly, but it's it's called um, Saturday Morning Cartoons. Oh, that's cool. And it, it basically is uh, yeah Saturday underscore Morning Cartoons. And so it yes. shows a lot of old clips of cartoons, and then the commercials. Yeah. And so you see That's all these great. You see all these the chuck old, wagon. Yeah, you see all these old commercials, yeah. Okay. Yeah. and from when you were a kid or watching cartoons or whatever. 
And all the commercials for the toys, I'm like, that commercial is basically the one thing that toy does. And when you get it home, you realize, fuck, this doesn't do anything else. It really doesn't, but they sold it so <laughs> So great. well, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. But, I mean, for me, it was like Creature Double Feature. Yep. Okay. It was uh, Hilarious House of Frankenstein, which was Vincent Price did the opening to that. And Billy Van played all the creatures, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, to me, like, he was awesome, man. He played the Wolfman. He played the Dracula dude. He played Frankenstein. But the opening to that was Vincent Price's glowing head coming at you, man. It was, do you remember that show? No, I don't remember that one. Hilarious House of Frankenstein. One of the best Saturday morning shows. Billy Van. Okay. You will love this. I'm going to find this on the internet. The best. I don't know how I missed this. This is a classic. Well, I'm Buffalo, Toronto, Canada. Gotcha. Really kind of very popular up there. Um, was it a regional show? Maybe yes, it was a regional yeah. show. That's why. Great that's why show. Um, and then it was like on to, you know, the Creature Double Feature and Godzilla. Yep. You yep. know, and whatever he was fighting. Yep. You know, all those kind of things. So. Yeah. It, it was it, there. I feel like. The nostalgia thing, because we talked earlier about how everything gets remade, it's just because, you know, the the world is so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And all information is, we just can't process all of it. No. And there's something, it's, it's taking us back to that simpler time. Mm. I don't know if you ever watched South Park, but there was a whole arc on a season of uh, these things called member berries. And, the, and there were these berries that people would eat, and they were just <laughs> cool. going, hey, member Chewbacca! And then we're like, oh! And then they would just zone out because it was just all, you know, wow. nostalgia. They and were that's just taking what... mushrooms, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. But it is... Ithaca, New York, man. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of my Ithaca college days. Yeah, because, I mean, Not obviously... the mushrooms, but kind of. No, of course. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. But of course, it's, it's you know, the, of course we had problems when we were kids and we had stuff. But we've removed all that and it just seems like, oh, that simpler time when everything was just... You know, a guy with fucking cotton balls on his face saying he was a wolf man with yeah. bad effects. Like cotton balls on his face. <laughs> well, those regional monster people, you yes. know, like they they really made it. Did your dad ever do regional a regional monster? I know he did a regional kids show, Rocket Ship Seven, but never did like the monster thing. But he had like a robot. He had puppets. Like oh. it was pretty badass, man. That's yeah. fantastic. <clears throat> it was it was kind of cool to grow up like total Rumpelstiltskin in the garage, you know, with my two older sisters. Waiting for my dad to come home because my mom was upset with us. So <laughs> I don't know what was going on. So we waited for dad to come home. <laughs> so we had all of his stuff in the garage and, you know, can't touch this stuff. It's, you know, of course, I'd go up and be like, whoa, what's all this? You know, and it was like walking into – I think that's why I'm so fascinated by this place is you see all these things and these trinkets and these fabulous little pieces. And it's like that's the world that was kind of like growing up as a kid with my dad. He was a traveling kind of – circus act in his own way you yeah. know, with a uh, had a robot in the back seat of his station wagon and i would go and do appearances with him up in toronto and travel from buffalo to toronto and the guy would put on the robot suit that looked like a big dishwasher and the big shoes and you know and then mr P- he'd put the puppet on mr beeper would come out and i'm like dude this is so amazing you know? <laughs> i was like to watch all this is you know and my father had to pack it back up and he'd get paid thirty dollars Oh my gosh! And you're like all that work for that, or oh just enough gosh. money to so I can buy the kids Christmas presents, right? And in Buffalo and cold New York and the snow and the blizzard of '76 and '77. I mean, just a remarkable families. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day about how it was great just to be around all that, and I think the closeness of the families and going to the house because they had the pool and they had the construction company, so they were like rich man. They had <laughs> the pool and they had like the 
exercise machine downstairs that you'd put on. It was like this bike thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, silver. with the handles. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. what is that, man? Yeah. It's like as a kid, you're like, holy shit, let's press that on. Oh, yeah. That thing goes crazy. But I think that's all growing up in that around that area, again, environment for me. And I, I, it, I, it's who I am today in a lot of ways. It's the, the, the types of roles and I like to play. It's like, again... I'm attracted to the hero within the Joseph Campbell type of roles, and I believe Jason Hayes is a hero in his own right because he's doing a journey, and that journey is going to take him to a lot of dark places that people are going to see and be like, you know what? Thank you for that. Thank you because it shines a light that people don't understand. You know. Well, what are you just as we're wrapping this up? What are you? Uh, what are you excited about? Is there anything in particular in general that mm-hmm. you know? You that that gives you hope for the world that makes you happy is kind of your happy place. I I, I feel it's though you know happiness isn't a smile, um, a kind gesture, um, staying away from the the social media blitz, writing a letter, um, going out and seeing the ocean, going to a lake. Lake to, lakes to me are just great. Um, People, conversations at old diners, um, uh, a piece of apple pie always. My mom has said, if you're having a bad day, have a banana split. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm happy about, <laughs> seeing my kids progress in a way that is, um, you know, adversity for them first and foremost and challenging themselves. Um, that to me is exciting, um, but it's, it's very daunting times right now. So let's see how that all uh, plays in today's world. Well, you're doing a great job, and I'm. It was a real pleasure to meet you, and you. you know, again, I've been watching you for years, and as a diehard Buffy fan moving forward, you know, and but then also understanding how the business works, like that that David Boreanaz is doing something right. <laughs> Must be doing something right. I'm trying because that shit's not an accident. You know, anyone can get one good. Anyone can yeah. luck into a job, yeah. but to maintain success over you know decades. Is that's a separate skill set mm-hmm. to keep your head on straight, to navigate all the shit and mm-hmm. stay focused. And I think just distilling it down to what you said, you just make it about the work. All and if you make work, it man. about the work and you're nice to people yeah. and you appreciate what you have, there isn't much more to really do beyond that. And all the other stuff yeah. is, you know. It'd be nice one day just to sit by the lake and read a book. <laughs> I look forward to that. And, and not having a call time. <laughs> you know, you say that, and I say that to my wife all the time, like, what if we just got a ranch and just had it? It would be, goes, it'd be loving for like a week. That's then, what she said. And then I'd be like, like, I'm driving myself crazy. God, what am I going to do? Well, I don't have hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. Sweetheart, can you just shoot daddy like diving out of the barn? Just use my phone. Dad just wants to dive out of the, I'm going to light the barn on fire. I'm going to dive out of it. Dad, Listen, please. Take Arthur, it easy. Arthur Fonzarelli couldn't build the birdhouses. <laughs> There's no way David Boreanaz was building them either. <laughs> Very parallel career, by the way, because Fonzie yeah. was supposed to just have True. an episode. And yeah. then he ended up becoming yeah. kind of the focal point of that show. So, And he's a great guy. Too. And a great Arthur guy, Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler's great. Yeah, but thank you so much for being here, man. It was a, a real pleasure. Thank you. Nice to see it. you. And thank you for tolerating my uh, Sunnydale Razorbacks shirts. Good, man. All I right. Like <laughs> the end. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. 
That was the ID10T podcast number 1031 with David Boreanis. It's time for Idiot Rap. That's what I'm calling it this week. Y'all, that's what it is right now. Who knows what it'll be? Good branding. Change a name every week. Um, so there was a lot of talk in this episode, which I really enjoyed about like pushing through discomfort. And uh, discomfort is already not a fun sounding term. No one wants to be uncomfortable, though sometimes it is necessary if you want to get some shit done. Now, um, that doesn't necessarily have to mean like physical discomfort. Uh, it's even emotional discomfort. I feel like I feel like we might avoid emotional discomfort more because we do encounter that more in our day-to-day lives. Just things we don't feel like doing, especially if you've been working all day and when you, there's stuff that you need to clear out, whether it's your garage. So in my case, it was my office, all right? My office sort of became a repository for just a lot of stuff that I didn't know what to do with. I didn't want to make a decision about something in a moment, so it just got stacked in my office. Or if I left it somewhere else in the house, uh, it would just magically appear in my office. <clears throat> Lydia. Although she had every right to do that because it was just my thing that was cluttering up some other part of the house. So she's like, I'll put it in your office and then you'll have to sort it sooner or later. And um, eventually she did what an amazing partner did. Uh, does, which is she applied some pressure. She was like, look, you've got to clean out your office. It is a, there are pillars of things everywhere and, uh, you, it looks hoardy. You, you're, you look, you're almost looking like a hoarder in your office. Uh, and I go, okay, okay. I just didn't know what to do with that stuff. It's very uncomfortable to think about it. It means I have to make decisions to get rid of things. And, you know, the problem with Marie Kondoing my life is that a lot of things I pick up bring me joy. So it is difficult to know what to get rid of. So, uh, again, thankfully, because Lydia is the most amazing and perfect partner ever, she said, I'm going to help you. We're just going to get in there and do it. Now, I probably put this off for a good year, like a calendar year, at least. And then finally, one day, without really thinking about it, We just started tackling it. And so a couple ways that I did that was I knew it was not going to be fun. And I told myself that I didn't have to do it all at once. Again, I did have the help of Lydia, which was tremendously, tremendously helpful. And um, we just made stacks of things. Okay, all these things are going to the podcast room. Uh, This is going here. This is all trash. This is a donate pile. And, you know, like after... We would work on it for like a half hour. Okay, great. Let's sort all the stuff that we put in the hallway. We put all that where that was going to go. Then we go back in. And, uh, you know, after two or three or four sessions, it was finally done. And it feels great. I can, this is me walking around my office. There was no room to do that before. I was stepping over shit. So it wasn't until I embraced the fact that it was going to be uncomfortable. There was discomfort. And it's just that emotional thing. It's the same kind of emotional discomfort you feel when you can't figure out what you want to watch on Netflix or, or, or Apple TV or whatever because you look at stuff and you go, oh, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy that. I don't know if I want to take a risk of, of watching that and then I don't like it and then it's not comfortable. See, because we're just so programmed to feel like we have to 100% like everything that we consume all the time, uh, all the way through. And so in that case, we just go, you know, let's watch something for 10 minutes. If we're not into it, we can bounce. 
so I guess where I'm going with all this is that there are probably a lot of things in your life that you want to achieve, things that you need to tidy up, things that you need to sort out, and you're just avoiding it because you know it's not going to feel fun. And as long as you can accept that and you can tell yourself, you know, I don't have to do it all at once, and you force yourself to push through it anyway, any little exercises you can do to embrace that kind of emotional discomfort will make you stronger. Because then once you do it, you just sort of realize like, oh yeah, I'll be, it'll be uncomfortable for like five minutes and then, then I'll just be in it, you know? And also forgiving yourself like, yeah, I don't have to do this all at once. I don't have to, you know, I'll do it. And then if it becomes so unbearable, then I will give myself a break. But at least if I just start it, you know, it's so funny. It's what I tell people all the time about like comedy or writing or any creative project. Yeah, you just got to start. So how do you get through stuff that's uncomfortable? You just got to start it. You just got to run the discomfort marathon. <laughs> but then once you do it, it's done. And then you can, you can put that little feather in your cap. You can not put that little endorphin rush, rush notch under your belt and, uh, and feel good about yourself. Because, you know, when you accomplish things that you don't feel like doing, you do it. It does send that little message to you also for your own self-esteem, like, hey, I was worth it. I was worth it enough to do this thing that, uh, you know, helped create some space in my life or just, you know, allowed me to, uh, you know, embrace some responsibility like cleaning my office. Uh, And so that's all. That's all I would do. Break it down into digestible little chunks if you need to so you don't have to do it all at once and just, you know, each day you know, like one or two little things that kind of embrace discomfort. And then after that, you know, because once you can conquer that, then, you know, a lot of things, I'd say most things in life, you'd be able to push through, you know, most things, most uncomfortable things in life, most uncomfortable things in life are not of the tragedy variety. Most of them are just annoying. (laughs) So if you could just check off the little annoying discomforts and uh, not allow yourself to uh, just want to feel super, uh, you know, at ease and, and just comfort all the time, then, uh, then you, will, you will be able to accomplish great things. That is a skill set that you will apply in many other areas of your life. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Um, and uh, I, hope, I hope you're able to get through something that's slightly uncomfortable for you today and get stronger. Make a stronger you for tomorrow, all right? I'll see you in your ears next week and uh, have a great weekend if it's the weekend or a great day ah well i really did not stick this landing Uh, then now this is uncomfortable but i'm getting through it (laughs) all right goodbye id 10 t scanning complete enjoy your burrito look around you can find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.